0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, this idea of being one's own teacher—like, what what are the occasions? Like, when do we seek a teacher? Maybe different uh, experiences that, and uh, which would encourage us to go see a teacher. And one of them is when we feel stuck. When we feel there's these obstacles, you know, things that are getting in the way of our practice, maybe our spiritual life, maybe our life in general. So, might be able, like an opportunity to explore what is getting in the way, or what is hampering our finding some ease and freedom, or even just getting to the meditation cushion. So there's this um, analogy that's in quite a few different places in uh, the Buddhist uh, scriptures and the suttas that um, I appreciate very much. And it's like, um, it describes that just like when it rains, there is the, riv- the, the the rain drops when they hit the ground join together to form rivulets. I think that's a word. And rivulets join together to form creeks. And creeks get together to form rivers. And rivers get together and form uh, go to the ocean. But they're all going the same direction. There's this uh, direction that they're going. To this idea that practice goes towards greater and greater freedom, practice goes towards greater and greater ease. But if we think in our mind about rivulets, creeks, and rivers, there's always boulders in them, right? And it doesn't go straight down the mountain, it's going around and there's little rapids, maybe there's waterfalls, places where it's really wide and smooth and places where it's uh, maybe really uh, going, running uh, quickly. So in the art practice, it's the same way. There are obstacles. I'll use this word, Obstacles perfectly natural it's just the way that it is and just like how the river doesn't say like oh there's a boulder going ahead and then goes around it no the river goes up and touches this boulder right It has contact with it experiences it and then goes around or over or under or whatever it does maybe there's a little eddy that gets created afterwards what, whatever it might be so there isn't an avoiding of them and we wouldn't recognize a river if it didn't have these different currents and these different uh, stones in them. So it's not a problem necessarily that there's these boulders there, that there's these river banks. that... I mean, of course there is. They do shape the path, though. They shape our path. If you think about it, right... Every time the river bends or curves, it's in response to some environmental thing that's there. And it's responding to that and going around or over or under, through, whatever it might be. Our path is exactly the same. Our spiritual path, our meditation path is exactly the same. We may have this idea, like, everything would be fine if just there weren't these pesky obstacles in the way. There are always pesky obstacles. It is the path. The path is to be with them, to learn from them, to go around them if need be, if we're always waiting for it to become perfectly clear and free, we'll be waiting a very long time. So earlier we talked a little bit about um, suffering. It's just a part of the human experience and a big part of the Buddhist teachings are just to be able to recognize suffering, recognize difficulties. And I talked about how often kind of the a self-critic will think, like, oh this shouldn't be happening this idea that instead of asking what is what is happening what, what would be helpful now what leads to more suffering and what leads to more happiness the self-critic is really strong there's a sense of I can't do this or a sense of I certainly can't do it now, I'll wait until the dog stops barking and the, I get that new Zafu that I saw on Amazon, it seemed really great and then, you know, the oh, I better eat first and then I better have some tea and then oh, I better have some yoga and like all these things, right? We often have oh, whatever our ideas are. So just like how the raindrops find their way to the ocean, our practice will find its way to greater freedom and greater ease. And there will be boulders. That is the path. It's not a mistake, it's not a problem, it's how it is. It's part of what it means to be a human, and it's part of what it means to be on a path, a spiritual path. And let's be honest, if I were to tell you I can promise you a path that will be easy-peasy the whole time, just do these five things on you know, this and it will be a piece of cake, you wouldn't believe me anyway. Because there's, there's a part of us that knows that life is a mixture of things. So, in some ways these boulders that are in the river of our path actually are doors for us to walk through. This isn't necessarily an easy thing to uh, be with or to practice with, but we learn a lot about ourselves, we learn a lot about suffering, we learn a lot about others, we learn a lot about the world we gain capacities we gain confidence when we work with obstacles and that's a big part of what the spiritual path is about all these things but first is to identify well what are the obstacles what are where where do you get stuck in your practice or are there things that you are really holding on to and you're feeling like this probably isn't a good thing to hold on to it but I'm doing it anyway or maybe there's you notice you have some regular patterns or to the challenges in your meditation or in your spiritual path more in general you find yourself that there's these I'll use this expression habits of mind things that you find yourself just going over again and again and again and again, and again, and again. Month goes by, years go by, five years, 10 years. Maybe you find yourself kind of stuck. So the, one of the important ways that we can um, sharpen our meditation practice and to be our own teacher is to understand these difficulties is to familiarize ourselves with them or just to acknowledge them too. Sometimes we're secretly wishing that if we ignore them, they'll go away. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So we might have sluggishness, restlessness, obsessive thinking, these really strong desires. We might have some psychological issues that could use some attention, need a little bit of space or help or support. We might have a lot of emotions that need to be metabolized in some kind of way. We might have a lot of boredom. Might have just a sense of complacency. Okay, I've been doing this for however long I'm going to do it again. We might have some excessive striving. Nibbana or bust. And this really, you know, tight effort. I'm going to sit here no matter what. And something else that can be interesting to look at is how much... How much of a sense of a self is involved that is, I have to do this, I should do this. And that's filled with self-judgment and self-criticism and our self-image and our self-definition and we're filled with self-concerns. So how much is it this all about that we have this contracted sense of self as opposed to maybe a little bit more relaxed, saying, Well, to meditate, and let's see what unfolds. As opposed to, I should do this, and I want this to happen, and it means something that this whatever we wanted didn't happen. So, all meditation practices, if we want to, um, for them to flower and blossom, and to really support us in our life, and support us in our endeavor to find more peace and freedom does require as best we can as best we can a little bit of relaxing and softening this self-preoccupation i know this is easier said than done when we're in a lot of pain when we have a lot of confusion of course we're concerned with ourselves. so it might require that we find ways in our life in which we can find some support so that we're not always um, so tightly trying to have this um, self, self-preservation. So I, when I first learned about this particular teaching that um, I'll mention in just a minute here, for myself I felt a lot of relief. I felt like, wow, thousands of years ago maybe 2,600 years ago people were talking about this let's just let that sink in for a moment 2,600 years ago how many generations is that? it's a lot of math here, right? I don't know what a generation is 25 years (laughs) 30? 30 years? okay, so Bill knows Right, so okay, so three and a third generations per 100, and then we have 2,600. Just think how different your life is from your great grandparents. So we're talking about not only the numbers of people, but people whose lives were so different than ours, and they had these same experiences. What are these experiences? The hindrances. Some of you are familiar with this this idea of the hindrances. There's a reason why they're called the hindrances, of course, right? They obstruct, they get in the way, they encumber the mind. And so the um, the Buddha says, without having he's using and this uh, particular particular uh, sutta saying, without having abandoned, I'm going to soften that language, without having found a way to work with, these five obstructions, these five hindrances, these five encumbrances of the mind, these five states that weaken wisdom, it's impossible that a practitioner with their weakened wisdom might know their own good might know the good of others and might know the good of both self and others. So not only do the hindrances perhaps get in the way of our meditation practice, but they skew our view, they skew our perspective, the way that we view things, including not being able to see our own good, our own wisdom, the positive qualities of ourselves and the qualities of others. So, what are these five hindrances? Here's a way that I like to um, categorize them. This excessive movement toward something. This movement, uh, let's see, there's a pulling towards something. I want more. I need more give me more. I need this for to be a good person. I need this to be comfortable. I need this because fill in the blank. That's the first one, this excessive kind of more. We call that one desire, sensory desire. It's not, I don't, I'll say as a little aside, not all desire is bad. This is one that's getting in the way of us, that's hindering us just being present we're feeling this pull the other is um, the opposite is the movement away I don't want this make this go away it's the same thing as desire it's just a flip of it right that I desire something else not this so there's a push of this pushing away I don't want it kind of use the expression aversion for that So there's a push and a pull. There's a a desire, a grasping, a craving, and an aversion. So those are two that are about maybe kind of like inclinations or movements. I'm doing this with my body moving forward. But it's, it feels like that too. I notice that when I am meditating and I'm like planning, like, oh, when I get home, I'm going to have this for dinner, and oh yeah, I bought that other thing, and I'm going to chop that up and I'll add it. It'll be really nice. And then oh, I have that. Oh, I could add this little thing to so the water, and then the water will taste. You know, I have this whole. Then I notice my body. I'm like going forward. <laughs> right. This is our bodies. Our minds are connected. Right. So it's one thing if you're wondering like one thing that's happening you could check in with your body and see if there's any of this happening so there's a push and a pull and then there's also an energetic two types of energetic one is really a lots of energy when you feel like you just can't sit here only thing you could you just would do anything to be able to just jump up and run away jump up and bolt and, or at least jump up and move around a little bit or and sit down or something like this so this sense of just too much energy the last thing it feels like you want to do is to sit and be still and then of course the opposite of that is not enough energy that you're falling <laughs> asleep and this, you know, kind of collapsing like physically Like often there's falling forward Sometimes there's, you know, actual falling asleep. So there can be that physical sense of this, like of not enough energy, but there can also be the mental mm, equivalent, I'll say, and that is this dullness in the mind where it kind of feels like you're in jello or foggy or can't quite connect with the breath or whatever it is that you want to work with. So there's the other two: lots of energy, or not enough energy. And then the fifth one is... maybe just a... there's a number of ways that we can describe it. One could be a little bit of this self-critical voice showing up. "I can't do it. I can't do this." Maybe everybody else can. I can't do this it also shows up. what are they talking about? That teacher doesn't know what they're talking about. (laughs) The teachings. These teachings aren't quite right. I don't know, the the Buddhists seem like nice people, but I don't know, I just don't think these teachings are for me. (laughs) I think that they they clearly don't know what they're talking about. Suffering or sitting still, (laughs) closing one's eyes, whatever it might be. So with that kind of, uh, with the mental, um, those type of mental thoughts, there can be kind of like an a, a unsettledness to it and kind of going around and around. Either not a confidence in oneself, not a confidence in the teacher, not a confidence in the teachings. And then with that lack of confidence, there's this sense of, well, oh, a wavering or hesitation. Should I do this? Well, I don't know, maybe I'll do that. And... Maybe I should do this, but longer. Or maybe if I mix these two things together, something like this happens. We call this last one doubt. I don't want to say, as a little aside, I'll say, doubt in this tradition is not so much the opposite of faith. You know, f- faith often translated like, as confidence. Just as an aside here, I'll say, because um, doubt is really common. It's really common the antidote for doubt is investigation this what's going on here wow look at my mind my thoughts are spinning wow my body is I can barely hold myself straight because I just feel overwhelmed with uh, all of the spinning types of thoughts not sure what to do so I'll just, for doubt in particular, I'll say that um, doubt is often associated with a sense of confusion. But if we bring our mind to, oh, I'm confused, then you're not confused. You know that you're confused. That's the absence of confusion. It's kind of this weird thing. Like, and So you can say, oh, okay, I'm not confused now, this very second. I was just a minute ago, but now I know that just that preceding two seconds I was feeling lost and not sure, but now I know I'm sitting here feeling lost and unsure. So there's these five hindrances, a push and a pull, desire, aversion, or maybe it's push pull, push, desire, aversion. Two energy states, one that's really high and one that's really low. And then the fifth one, doubt, confusion, which is coupled with a hesitancy, I'm not sure what to do. And maybe, you know, lacking confidence in either oneself and or the teachings or the practice. So what we can do when we find ourselves... With these obstructions, with these boulders, first is to recognize them as best we can. But what's really important also is to just become familiar with our reactions to these. Do we have aversion to aversion? Are we wishing that this boulder weren't here and trying to push it away? In some ways, right? That's like adding gasoline onto the fire. It's just f- feeding the fuel of uh, aversion. Do we want to want? I had that uh, experience. This was quite something. Uh, Amazon Prime Days. This, I think it was in July, and I thought, like, okay, I'm sure there's something I want. I want. I want something that's on sale. So. <laughs> Went on Amazon. I'm like, oh no, no, no. Like, there's gotta be something. But you know, just that I wanted that little zing of like wanting something and then go capturing it and getting it. So I found something and I'm like, okay, I got maybe. And I just put it in my cart. I didn't buy it, but somehow somehow just putting it in my cart felt like it was something. <laughs> But you know like sometimes we I don't know what that's about exactly. actually, there's a lot of neuroscientists who do uh, work on this and who discover that that just it's the it's a lot of the idea of getting the expectation of getting is often more pleasurable than the actual getting they measure measure that in all kinds of different ways so so get to familiar with it what are our reactions uh, to things that we that these hindrances that we're experiencing the self-critical voice showing up are we trying to push it away are we um, just kind of collapsing around it like oh maybe there's doubt I can't do this and our energy drops out and maybe we feel some dullness is a way to kind of um, protect us from the experiences But I would say the most important thing that we can do when we're working with the hindrances, things that might be the most helpful, not necessarily the easiest, of course, but something that might be the most helpful is to not take them personally. 2,600 years ago, They were describing how people were having too much energy, not enough energy. They are having a lot of desire and wanting or they were pushing away or they were having confusion and doubt and lack of confidence. This is the human experience. This doesn't just show up in our meditation practice. It shows up in our daily life. These are just conditions that arise in the mind. We don't have to believe what they say. We take them as authoritative. We kind of recognize like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. And be with them as best we can. So one of the primary ways in which we can work with them is to just recognize them allow them to be there as best we can maybe feel them in the body restlessness feels like this it feels like there's ping pong balls inside zooming around or maybe it feels like the thoughts like there's so many thoughts you don't quite land on any one particular thought or maybe when there's low energy that's called sloth and torpor maybe that's when it just feels hard to sit up straight whether even you're sitting in a chair or sitting on the ground or maybe it feels like the thoughts are dreamy And then, as best we can, can we tease apart that which is our experience, energy zooming around the body, from what our reaction is to that? What is it that, how do we respond to what's happening? Are we, it's a self-critical voice showing up, and we're creating a big story, like I knew I couldn't meditate and I shouldn't have even sat down here or I don't know, whatever the story might be that we have so here's some ways to work with these five hindrances desire, aversion restlessness sloth and torpor and doubt one way to work with them recognize them Allow them to be there as best we can. So as as best we can to put down the wrestling match, to put down the fighting we are with them. Feel them in the body. Often feeling them in the body kind of grounds us here into the present moment and um, takes some of that energy away from the mental events that are happening, the stories that we're telling ourselves. And then the last one is to tease apart the stories we're telling ourselves from the actual experience. You may recognize this as R-A-F-T, raft. This is a way that we can find our way on this going down this creek or river. Uh, and hopefully we can, not hopefully, this is a way in which we can find our way, keep on going instead of being stuck So if you have this dedication, if you have this wish, if you have this commitment to work with your meditation practice, to work with your spiritual practice, what this means, what this means, any commitment to work with meditation or to work with a spiritual practice means working with the hindrances. They're the same. They go together we don't get to just sit down and bliss out and experience peace and happiness. Instead, it's it is the path. It is the path. It's not our fault that these hindrances arise. It doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to mean anything about our worthiness as a person. It just means we're a person. We' a, a human being who has some meditation practice. We're a human being who has a spiritual practice, a spiritual life. That's all it means. And then as we work with them and as we gain more familiarity with them, they do diminish in their authority, in their power, in their way, to, in their capacity to push us around. Maybe you could even help, we have this R-A-F-T. Maybe you could even have this idea of, okay, what can I learn here? What is there to, what, is there something to, to be gained from this? If I were to be a student of this situation, what, what would I learn? What's, what's being taught here? Okay, so I'll also go through this list one more time for those of you who aren't familiar with it. The five hindrances. So the the traditional classical language is desire, but more like sensory desire. This idea of uh, pleasurable experiences. Not just all desire. Sensory desire in particular, that which is getting in the way. Sensory desire or aversion Restlessness, or, or we call sloth and torpor, this really low energy, and the fifth one, doubt. So now with that, it's a little introduction. Let's explore these a little bit. So maybe... Um, because I've been talking for a little bit, Let's just we'll just stand up for a minute or two, and then I'll do a guided meditation with us. But before we do that, let's stand up.